In the talk this evening, I'd just like to talk somewhat about some of the factors that are necessary for integrating our own spiritual direction, our spiritual focus, our own sense of inner spirituality into the rest of our lives. Seems to me that to truly integrate our spirituality, we need to be willing to give attention quite wholeheartedly to three areas of our lives. A part of our lives, a very major part of our lives, is our outer lives. The roles, the identities we're in, be they parent, partner, professional. Um, our outer lives includes our relationships. All of this comprises such a major part of our attention, is what so many of our thoughts is directed towards. It's something that we cannot ignore. We live within our bodies, and so therefore we are sexual beings. We live within a male and a female, or a female identity. We live within relationship with one another, with other beings, with our planet. Therefore, by our very nature of our lives, we are social beings. We co construct and help to create by our consent or our dissent the structures and the institutions that govern so very much of our world and which also influence our own lives. So therefore, by the very nature of our lives, we are also political beings. We live on our planet. We're nurtured by our planet. We nurture the planet that we live on. And so, therefore, we're also a part of a greater ecology. We cannot afford, I feel, in our spiritual lives to ignore the world that influences us, to ignore the way in which we influence our world, simply because it is part of our entire being. It's part of our own universe. And if our spirituality is to have any meaning, if our spirituality is to be something that is alive, that is vital, that has actual meaning in the whole of our lives, then our own inner spirituality needs to be one which can embrace with wisdom and with sensitivity the world in which we live, the direction of our lives, and the focus of our lives. Our minds, our bodies, our feelings, our constant companions in our lives, something that we cannot divorce ourselves from, something that we cannot afford to ignore. Our whole inner reality, our inner experience, of course in very real and dr dramatic ways, influences the way in which we see each other, the way in which we perceive the world, the way in which we relate to the world. Our inner reality is one that is constantly changing and challenging us to find new ways of responding, new ways of being, new ways of understanding both the inner and the outer. Because we live with ourselves, it's important that we understand and we know on a very deep level how to be at peace with ourselves, how to live with ourselves with sensitivity and with clarity. 
It also means not our lives and having meaning in our lives means not just knowing how to be with others, but also how to be alone and how to appreciate the richness and the possibilities of our own inner potential. We need to know how to approach ourselves with care and with sensitivity. Because if we are disconnected inwardly, if we don't know how to be at peace with ourselves, then so much of our lives tends to become a pursuit of ways of distracting ourselves from our own being. A pursuit of ways of, of filling up an emptiness that we, that we feel within ourselves or a pursuit of ways of, of avoiding the emptiness or the feeling of emptiness with, that we fear within. And when our lives, when our, when our own sense of attention becomes focused on distracting ourselves from the present moment, it's of course extremely difficult to know who we are. What we end up with is a very superficial knowledge of who we are a knowledge that's really confined and restricted just to the roles that we have, just to our thoughts, or our conclusions, or our images about who we are. And amidst all of that, it's truly difficult to know a deeper sense, have a deeper understanding of who we truly are as a person. And it's when, I feel, when we can connect with that inner sense of who we truly are, then we have creativity in our lives. Then we have vitality in our lives. When we have an authentic inner vision, then we can direct our lives from that place of an authentic inner vision. There's the outer world, there's the inner world. Between those two is our relationship. Our relationship with both the way in which we relate to others, to the world around us, and that most intimate relationship, our own inner relationship of how we relate to who we are. It's so important that we can attend truly wholeheartedly to the quality of that relationship. Do we find in our inner relationship or our outer relationships discord, or do we find harmony? Do we find in our lives and within ourselves, towards ourselves, we have a relationship of openness, of sensitivity, of creativity? Or do we find that our relationship, both with the outer world and with the inner world, is governed instead by anxiety, by a feeling of being threatened, by feelings of suspicion or of mistrust of others and of our own inner being? Do we feel in our relationship to life and to ourselves that we're growing as a human being? Do we feel that we're growing into the fullness of our own possibilities, our own potential? Do we feel in our relationship with life and with ourselves that we're able to creatively and wisely utilize the challenges and possibilities that each moment brings to us? Or do we find in our lives that we feel stagnant, that we feel mechanical, that we feel stuck, or that we feel frustrated? It's important that we're able to question ourselves. 
it's important that we can bring that questioning and inquiry into our lives and into our inner relationship. It's important that we can attend wholeheartedly to our own sense of growth and development. It's also important that we look at what are the factors that make it possible for us to really grow into the fullness of our own potential. What are the factors that make it possible for us to utilize the lessons that each moment brings to us? When we begin to ask those questions, we probably feel that there's many factors that make it possible for us to utilize the richness of each moment and also make it possible for us to integrate our spirituality into the rest of our lives. We probably know that support and nourishment from others is an important ingredient. We probably know that having a conducive lifestyle, like-minded relationships, is important. We know that having sources and being able to tap into sources inwardly of energy, of, of attention and sensitivity are important for being able to grow, to be open, to be wholehearted in our inner development. There are many factors and many ingredients that are important for that integration and development. One of the most important factors that's important that is essential to that deepening is knowing what it means to feel spacious and balanced within ourselves. Knowing what it means to have really a sense of inner space. By inner spaciousness, I don't mean the kind of spacey mind that's constantly kind of just wandering or distracted or spacing out and things. By inner spaciousness, I'm trying to suggest that those inner qualities of calm and stability, those inner qualities of openness and sensitivity, those inner qualities of, of a feeling of receptivity, a sense of, of real vastness, vision within ourselves. When that spaciousness is not there, it's exceedingly difficult for us to learn through and from anything that comes into our world or that unfolds in the present moment. When that inner spaciousness isn't there, it happens increasingly that we find ourselves disconnected both from others and from a true sense of ourselves. When that spaciousness isn't there, we appreciate the effects of that lack of space very, very quickly in our lives. We feel overwhelmed. We feel pressured. We feel bombarded. We feel overwhelmed by things that come from the outer world, the demands, the expectations, the needs of others. We also feel equally overwhelmed by our own inner life. We feel swamped and bombarded by the power of our own thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our mental states. And we find ourselves suffering. We find ourselves feeling resentful. We find ourselves feeling pressured. We find ourselves un increasingly unable to handle skillfully our relationships, our interactions, our own minds. 
we find ourselves too, when there's a lack of space, that essentially we cannot welcome what the moment brings to us. When there's that lack of space inwardly, too often we simply feel invaded. You know, when we're not connected inwardly with that sense of inner spaciousness, it feels like we have so little space that even small requests, small needs for our time begins to feel like major intrusions or major invasions. And we find ourselves, because of that lack of space, having to put up defenses, having to put up barriers, having to guard ourselves against others and also against our own minds and our own feelings because we feel we cannot accommodate what the moment is bringing to us. And by putting up that, those guards and those barriers, by trying to defend ourselves against intrusion, because of the lack of space we feel, we equally find ourselves feeling paralyzed because we feel powerless. You know, when it seems like we're constantly being bombarded by things and we don't feel we can skillfully handle them, essentially we feel to be a victim. A victim both of our own minds and a victim of the world that we live in, a victim of other people's expectations. And in that feeling of being a victim, we feel so powerless and so paralyzed that we can't bring about change. And to feel powerless, to feel paralyzed, is one of the most devastating feelings to experience because it so radically and dramatically undermines our own sense of worth, of adequacy, of competence. Instead, we feel that we are just moved and pushed and conditioned by whatever comes into our world or by whatever arises within ourselves. We see very quickly the effects of that lack of space. We find ourselves reacting very strongly with anger, with impatience, with resentment, against, towards even small things that seem to disturb us or that seem to invade us. We find ourselves becoming impatient of others. And in our very impatience with others, of course, the very effect of that impatience means alienation. It breeds alienation, it breeds disconnection, and it breeds further resentment. When there's that lack of space too, a very lethal effect of it is that we find ourselves being very, very hard on ourselves. You know, we become frustrated with our own frustration. We become impatient with our own impatience. We feel overwhelmed by our own lack of space and resentful of that lack. And then we become hard on ourselves. We begin to feel guilty. We begin to compare ourselves to others. We begin to judge ourselves in very negative ways, isolating these qualities within ourselves which are difficult to accept, which we don't like. And in doing that, in doing so, in that self-judgment, in that inner condemnation and denial that can go on, it further serves to undermine that fragile sense of worth that exists within ourselves. By using our self-judgment and our frustration as a weapon against ourselves, 
we further undermine our capacity to grow and to in the midst of our experiences and to learn from what the present moment is bringing to us. It's not easy to find a true sense of spaciousness in our culture because our culture, our society, is not one that supports that spaciousness. It's also not easy to find that spaciousness within our lives when we find ourselves on a realistic level being bombarded by the needs and the demands and the expectations of others. It's not easy to find, our, find that self, sense of spaciousness when the very nature of our lives, being in families, relationships, work, actually means that we have very little real space to move in. As parents, as partners, we know that we are often very accessible to the needs of others. We know we're very accessible to the demands of others. We know in our hearts we want to give of that accessibility generously. And yet when we're divorced from that spaciousness inwardly, that accessibility can feel like a very fragile sense of vulnerability. We may find, by the very nature of our lives, that we're constantly answering the needs of others, constantly responding to demands from others, constantly responding to what needs to be taken care of outside of ourselves. In that constant response, it's all too easy to become really, really alienated from inner spaciousness and from inner stillness. And then when we have the opportunity, when we have those moments in our lives, when we are alone, when we are just with ourselves, the result of that disconnection is finding that aloneness and that being just with ourselves to be an uncomfortable experience because we become so divorced easily from our own sense of being, from our inner sense of direction, that to be alone can come to feel like an empty experience, that there's something missing, something lacking. And because it's uncomfortable, it further propels us then, even when it's not needed, to direct our attention outwardly away from that inner experience. We live in a culture that doesn't value necessarily inner spaciousness, doesn't know how to find it. We live in a culture which is experiencing the results and the consequences of being divorced from inner spaciousness and stillness. You know, you see it all around you. You see this incredible kind of contemporary phenomena of a person trying to relax by reading the newspaper, listening to the radio, and filling their mouths all at the same time. You know, and in our culture, that has come to be termed ways of relaxing. And it's so alienated, have so many people come in our culture, that relaxation has become equated with distraction and is deemed to be all right, not seeing the effects of that inwardly, you know, they do these experiments with animals 
to see the effects of being burdened um, and bombarded by sense data. And they do, do these experiments where they put animals into small cages, very crowded, and bombard them with light and with sound and with sensory input. And the effects on the animals is that either they go, they freak out, they go crazy, they become aggressive, they attack each other, or else they become catatonic. Experiments which are entirely unnecessary we experience inwardly on a very real level the effects of being overburdened, the effects of a consciousness which is simply carrying too much and which is too disconnected from a true sense of inner stillness and spaciousness. Sometimes we're aware of that pressure. We're aware of the discomfort of that inner experience of being burdened and bombarded. Often our response to it is the feeling, I need to get away. You know, I just need a break. I need to get out of it. I need to get away from it all. You know, when you have that inner experience and that thought, you know, you have these memories of being on long retreats or you have these fantasies about sort of traveling to India, you know, and ordaining in a monastery, you know, and that sense of I just need to get away. Someone said on the, on the last retreat I did here, you know, they said, you know, I've always run away from myself and I've always tried to run away from myself and I keep trying to run away from myself. There's been one major problem. Myself runs with me. We see it. You know, we cannot avoid or so easily discard our inner experience. We cannot divorce ourselves from the quality of our inner lives. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can manipulate and modify and order our world to try and make it into some, try and make it acceptable to us, to try and avoid the unpleasant, the uncomfortable, the challenging and the threatening. There's a lot of ways in which we can manipulate and modify our world in order to try and divorce ourselves from that which, is, which creates discomfort for us. But we can't divorce ourselves from the quality of our inner being. We can't divorce ourselves from the quality of our feelings, our thoughts, our emotions, the mental states we experience. And it is when we stop, when we just stop the momentum of our lives for even a moment, for an hour, two hours, for a few days, that's when we start getting in touch with what the quality of our inner lives actually is. For many people to come to a retreat, you know, they come with wonderful expectations and anticipations of peace and harmony and bliss and all these wonderful fantasies, you know, of this calmness and tranquility and serenity they're going to finally get to experience when they sit. And at times to sit down on a zafu is a great disillusionment, hmm? primarily because we don't bypass who we are to get to those states. We can't make convenient detours around who we actually are in order to come to, in order to, come to some state of experience that we would like to be in. When we stop here for a few moments, we experience on a very real level the quality of our inner lives, and often it's just one long monologue. 
Some people are lucky enough to have it in dialogue. For many people, it's just one long monologue of our minds dwelling, repeating, preoccupied, obsessed at times, fantasizing, and we start to get in touch with what is actually happening within ourselves. And it's a critical point, it's a crucial point, because when we start getting in touch with what's actually happening in ourselves, you know, we have a number of options available to us. You know, we can project kind of blame outwardly. Um, you know, it's ridiculous to be doing this kind of thing anyway. You know, who in their right mind would sit down with their legs crossed for hours at a time? Or we can become very judgmental inwardly. You know, of, you know, look, look how, how I failed, how I've regressed, all the kind of plateaus of meditation I'd previously been at. I've lost them all. Or in that moment of turning our attention inwardly, we can begin to really question our inner experience. We can really begin to explore the dynamics of our lives in a gentle, in a clear, and in an accepting way. We, be we can begin with that inquiry and exploration to really be begin to look at how we can tap into the resources we hold inwardly that we need to tap into and how we can change and transform our way of relating to the present moment so that it becomes not a, something that detracts from our sense of being grounded, but something that enhances our sense of being grounded inwardly. And in order to find inner spaciousness, we need to know in this moment what it is that is cluttering up our minds what it is that is consuming that sense of space within ourselves. When we sit, it becomes obvious. Those things that we feel that we can't let go of, that just keep repeating themselves again and again. We find when we sit what it is we are preoccupied with, what it is we are dwelling upon, what it is that is creating that sense of being pressured or burdened, for different people, it's different things. Sometimes it's the past. Sometimes it's the future. Often it's our relationship to the present. One thing that very directly consumes a sense of inner space is holding over ourselves so many should-bes, so many ideas and images and models of who we should be who others should be, what we should be experiencing, what should be happening for us, how we should be able to relate. Every time we use one of those shoulds, we basically deny our experience of the present moment and we deny our capacity to learn from it. We deny our capacity to learn from the present moment when we turn away from it in order to, to dwell upon the way things should be. The more that we do that towards ourselves, the more images and models that we hold towards ourselves, the strength of them is also the strength to which we project those same images and expectations onto others and onto the world around us. And we need to see often the more dissatisfying or the more uncomfortable our experience of the present moment 
is the degree that we try to move away from it. And often the way that we try and move away from it is to construct for ourselves some model, some image, some projection of how it should actually be. The very first step in creating space for ourselves is acceptance. And not in any way a passive, lethargic, um, dull kind of acceptance. The kind of acceptance that is needed is the acceptance of clearly connecting with what is actually happening in the moment. The kind of acceptance that's needed is born of clearly connecting with what the actuality of our experience is in this moment, whether it's pleasant or whether it's painful, whether it's hard or whether it's one that conforms to our expectations. The more clearly we can connect with what is actually happening within ourselves, within our lives, the more clearly that we can accept what is actually happening, the more possibilities of change do we actually have access to. True change, I don't believe, is ever born of denial or avoidance. True change is never born out of misperceiving or distorting what we're actually experience. True change has to be rooted in clearly connecting with what we're experiencing. And the closer that we can connect with what we actually experience is the degree of creativity that we can bring into our experience to bring transformation. You know, there's so many examples. I mean, if you feel anger or frustration, you know, to try and hold some model over you, I shouldn't be experiencing this, I should be generous and loving and peaceful. Or the more you try and distract yourself from it by filling up your consciousness with some kind of sense data, the more you try and justify what you're actually experiencing, all of those avenues means actually moving away from what is actually happening. When you begin to move closer to what is actually happening, you can bring some inquiry, some exploration into that acceptance, into that clarity of seeing. And you can begin in that exploration, in that clarity of seeing, begin to have access to ways of bringing about change that are not rooted in denial or avoidance or, ex or, or distortion. We need to remember that the kindergarten of wisdom for us is really knowing what contributes to clarity and to sensitivity, to openness and to understanding in our lives, and also clearly knowing what detracts from it. And if we can truly be in touch with that very basic level of understanding, our actual path of meditation becomes very clear for us. We know what we need to develop. We know what we need to let go of. We know what we need to nurture. And we know what we need to be able to turn away from, too, in our lives. Inattention, simple inattention, is also something that consumes a sense of inner space. When we are scattered, when our mind is scattered, unable to attend fully and wholeheartedly and mindfully 
to being where we are and to being with what we're doing and to being with what we're experiencing, when we're unable or unwilling to attend to that, essentially we become scattered, we become fragmented. The results of that is we find ourselves feeling very reactive. There's a kind of snowballing effect that happens within ourselves. It's born of inattention. You know, if you're doing something with your child and you're not attentive in it and something goes wrong in your interaction, in your communication, and you move on to the next moment without having wholeheartedly attended to that, you take that feeling from that experience and that interaction into your next one. If it hasn't been looked at and dealt with and attended to, it escalates until we find within ourselves building up this escalation of pressure and reaction until we're experiencing reactions that are totally out of touch with what is actually taking place in the moment. Attention is absolutely necessary. Cultivating and nurturing attention is absolutely necessary to having a sense of spaciousness within ourselves. You know, sometimes, particularly in people who sat before, they have a very discriminating set of values about what it's worth giving attention to. You know, it may come and sit and feel like it's very worthwhile being attentive here. And yet, it may not feel very worthwhile to be attentive to feeding your child or to changing a child or to doing your laundry. You think, well, this is just, you know, ordinary routines. It doesn't matter. The practice of meditation, the true practice, I think, of an authentic path of meditation is actually the practice of knowing that everything matters. It is the practice of everything matters. Everything is of significance. Everything is worthy of our attention and our sensitivity. If we can see that everything, every single thing that we do in our lives is worthy of our full attention and our full sensitivity, we reap very quickly the benefits of that attention and sensitivity. You know, even the distinctions between sitting and not sitting begin to fall away because we have that sense of just a clear attunement to what is. And meditation practice is not necessarily about achieving some altered states of consciousness or some enlightening experiences or whatever. Meditation practice is really about learning how to be totally present with what is. Because in learning how or in knowing how to be totally present with what is, Within that being present with what is, there's sensitivity, there's grace, there's mindfulness, and there's also a deepening in understanding and in wisdom. Dwelling is something that consumes space. You know, there may be things we've said or done that we regret. There may be things that have happened to us that we resent. There may be parts of ourselves that we dislike, that we find difficult to accept. There may be things in other people we also find difficult to accept. We can see when there is something in our lives that's unpleasant, that's painful, that's hard to accept, there is a tendency within ourselves to isolate it and to dwell upon it. 
By dwell upon it, I mean feeding our thoughts, our energy, our feelings into that which we've isolated. Dwelling becomes preoccupation, and preoccupation becomes obsession. And when there is dwelling and preoccupation and obsession, what we don't have in that experience is any real sense of inner space. It's a pitfall for us in our lives, dwelling. You know, you can see you may have had an interaction with someone today which didn't work out very well. may have been your child, may have been another person. You may have left that interaction feeling, I really didn't handle that very well. You know, why was I so uptight? Why was I so tense in it? You may have left it, and you continue to hang on to it and to dwell upon it. Pretty soon, you've got a whole reality built for yourself about who you are, about who another person is. And that reality that's being constructed is one that becomes preoccupying, it's one that consumes an enormous amount of space. Part of the skillfulness in creating space for ourselves is really learning the skill of how to let go. It's a precious skill to utilize. It doesn't come out of forcing, it doesn't come out of striving. It comes out of really appreciating the effects of dwelling upon ourselves. And letting go is actually an act of compassion and an act of love for ourselves and for others. Being able to let go of what's gone by, being able to let go of our images, being able to let go of our conclusions is an act of compassion. And it's when we develop that skillfulness of letting go that we develop at the same time the capacity to begin anew in each moment. It's when we're holding on to things, when we're hanging on to things, when we're carrying things with us that are already finished, that we're basically occupied and preoccupied with the past. And in that occupation, it's very, very difficult for us to begin anew in each moment. It's in learning how to let go that we begin to appreciate that we hold within ourselves the possibility of beginning anew in each moment that comes to us. And that in that capacity to begin again, to begin anew in each moment, there's a capacity to realize an enormous amount of space. You know, we have to start over again so many times in our lives. We, ha- we make new beginnings so many times in our lives. You know, in the changes we've gone through, in the identities we've gone through, in the role changes we've seen, we begin anew so many times. And yet, even with our practice at it, it doesn't necessarily get any easier for us because of the tendency to hold on to things, the difficulty in letting go. And yet we need to appreciate that we have a very unique power within ourselves. We have the power to be aware. And basically, the power to be aware means that we hold within ourselves also the power to transform. We have the power through our very awareness to be able to begin again and to appreciate that in that capacity to begin again with what is, there is spaciousness, there is peace, there is sensitivity, and there is openness. Part of developing that spaciousness too 
is cultivating clearly a generosity of heart. You know, with our self-judgments, with our images of who we should be, we so undermine our own sense of well-being. And basically, essential to our sense of well-being is a generosity of heart. And the more that we can extend that generosity of heart towards ourselves, the more that we can extend it to others. And that generosity of heart, that forgiveness inwardly, that sense of love and care and sensitivity and appreciation inwardly, is something that nurtures our own sense of well-being. And by actually nurturing and nourishing our sense of well-being, we create inwardly a sense of spaciousness. We give ourselves the space to be. We give ourselves the space to be who we truly are. And when we can give ourselves that gift of the space to be, we can also extend that gift to others. We can offer that gift to others. And surely there's no more precious gift that we can offer to another person than the space to be who they are and the sensitivity of being with them as they are. Just as the sensitive, we have the sensitivity of being present with ourselves as we are. In our practice here, you know, you may come and sit and you may experience lots of resistances and dullness and restlessness arising. And you may feel, you know, that our practice or your practice is going to begin after they go away or after they finish that you're going to be spacious or feel a sense of space after those experiences which aren't so acceptable finish. And yet, the true practice, I feel, is knowing what it means to develop a sense of spaciousness in the midst of those experiences. Life doesn't offer us an endless series of experiences which are pleasant, supportive, and accommodating to us. And we can see that in our outer lives, in our relationships, the place where we actually need to really nurture and know how to nurture space and spaciousness is in the midst of our interactions, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of noise. And our practice is actually a training for that, learning how to nurture with sensitivity, attentiveness, mindfulness, and openness, a sense of spaciousness in the midst of those experiences in our meditation that don't necessarily conform to our model of how they should be. And to me, a retreat and being here together is really a training, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity that offers to us the possibilities of really tapping into our own resources, really tuning into our own resources, and learning how to develop spaciousness inwardly, and learning how to develop spaciousness in our relationships with each other. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with mindfulness. May all beings live with spaciousness.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.